Welcome to another episode of Pimp Your Brilliance with Monique Malcolm, a podcast about brilliant people leveraging their passions to create their own opportunities. I aim to show you what's really possible when you shut down the course of fear and lean into your genius zone. You can learn more about this show and subscribe for updates by visiting keepchasingthestars.com backslash podcast or come hang out with me on Instagram at starchasersonly. Are you ready? Let's do this. Hey, Star Chasers, welcome to episode number seven. If you need more information about this episode or show notes, you can find them at keepchasingthestars.com backslash seven. Today's special guest is Casey Sibley of KCD Sibley Art and Design. Casey and I met a few years ago through a women's development uh, coaching program. And so we've connected and kind of stayed in touch through that. And we also connected again last year, uh, right before I decided to do my Kickstarter. She was really the person who gave me the confidence that I could actually make it work because she had previously done one earlier in the year and it was successful. So let me just tell you a little bit about Casey. Casey is the owner and designer of KCD Sibley Art and Design, a Reno, Nevada-based lifestyle brand specializing in textile design for home goods and accessories. She has built an online retail and wholesale business from scratch and has sold her products in over 50 stores across the U.S. and Canada. She's also worked with larger retail partners such as West Elm Local and Lord & Taylor. So if you're looking for an honest chat about what it takes to transition out of your safe career into a creative one or the realities of running a product-based business, this episode is definitely for you. Hey, Casey, how are you doing today? Hey, I'm doing good. Thank you so much for having me on your podcast. Oh, no problem. I, you know, you and I have connected in the past and I love what you're doing. And there are some things um, that you've done that I, I want to share later on in the show. So it, it was a no brainer to ask you to be on here. <laughs> and the way I like to start things off, I love people to give a bit of their background. Tell us who you are, what you do, what's your passion thing. Okay. Well, um, so I'm Casey Sibley, and I uh, own, um, I'm the owner and the designer behind KCD Sibley Art and Design, which is um, a a product company. I do uh, home goods and accessories. I design textiles, and um, I've been doing that since about, well, more officially since 2012. I really started kind of dabbling in selling artwork online in 2011. Um, and before that, I, my, my first career was as an architect. So I went to school for architecture, graduated, um, got my degree, got my license and worked in architecture for several years and just decided, you know, pretty early on, actually during my first architecture job, I was like, I don't want to do this, you know, but I kind of kept plugging along. Um, and then a few years ago, my husband and I moved to Reno, Nevada, and I had some downtime while looking for a job. And so I started selling artwork online. I was just kind of curious to see what would happen. And then that sort of morphed into um, textile design because I figured out how to have my artwork printed on the textiles and then um, became pretty obsessed with that. And so now uh, what I do is textile design and product design for my brand. Awesome. So you took the leap from architecture to textile and product design. So Uh, how did you prepare for that transition? I know you said you had some downtime while you were looking for a job, but did you do any type of preparation to kind of ease into this transition? Yes, for sure. I, um, you know, it's funny. It kind of, 
I'm definitely not one of those entrepreneurs that started a business with a very clear business idea in mind. And um, at first that was like super intimidating for me because I thought, oh, I don't really know what I want to do. But that was kind of what led me to start the business in the first place because you know, like I said, I was, I was working in architecture. I'd kind of picked this really responsible, reliable, easy to explain career path. Um, but once I was in the thick of it, I was just, I was honestly just miserable doing it. I, I really didn't enjoy it. I felt very stifled creatively. And when we moved, you know, I had that month of downtime that I really, you know, had more of this idea to sell artwork online because a friend of a friend was selling some stuff on Etsy. And I was just like super intrigued by that. I was like, oh my gosh, does she make money doing this? And my friend was like, well, you know, she makes a little bit of money. So I kind of was just curious and halfway desperate. I was looking for a job when I, when we moved here and I had been looking for a while. And so I listed a few things on Etsy and was at first just selling stuff to friends and family. And, but again, just super energized by the idea of making money, doing something that was just so enjoyable for me. Um, I'd always been really creative and loved making things and painting and drawing all of that. So it just was very, a very natural thing for me to do. Um, and as far as, ma- as far as making that transition, you know, the first, the first year or so that I was doing, that I was selling product on Etsy, I knew that I wanted to make something more of it, but I didn't really know what that looked like. And so I kept experimenting and then I kind of hit a point where I was like, okay, I can see it was after I'd kind of done some of the more, like more of the textile stuff. Um, and I saw some real potential to scale the business and grow it a little bit bigger or a lot bigger. I mean, I had really big, big ideas about it in the beginning. Um, and so I decided to start scaling back on my day job hours as an architect. Cause by, by that time I had found a job, I, I, well, a few jobs in architecture. I bounced around a lot cause I just was never satisfied at any job that I had. Um, so I started scaling back on those day job hours. So at first it was like, I, I worked actually at a firm, it was just a small one guy firm um, at a town that was about 30 minutes away. And so I had negotiated with him to work four days a week starting out. So I was like, you know, that way I can just, I don't, I don't have to commute so far because it was in the mountains too. So it was kind of, you know, um, it could be kind of a hard commute sometimes. So I was like, okay, I'm going to work four days a week, you know, so, so I'll work four longer days and then I'll have Fridays to myself. And so those Fridays, I really would put a lot of effort into my business and thinking about that and really trying to kind of, treat it like a business work day, you know? And then, um, over the years, I mean, it took, it took several years for me to completely transition out of architecture, but I just kept scaling back at some, at at a certain point, I decided to go freelance with architecture and just pick up work, uh, with firms around town if if they needed it. And then I ended up getting a more permanent part-time position where I was only working a couple of days a week, um, toward the end there. Uh, and so that's kind of how I started to scale back that time and really devote more time. So it, I st- just started shifting that time toward my business. And then in 2015, July of 2015, um, I started working full time on my business. And so I've been working on it full time ever since then. Oh, so you're heading on into year two of full time. Yeah, yeah which I can't believe it's gone by so fast. <laughs> it does go by really fast and it, it's crazy. So you, you made a couple of points that I, I really liked. One, uh, you said that you chose a really responsible, like clear mm-hmm. career path. And I find that that is kind of a trend yes. amongst uh, quite a few of my guests who have higher level degrees. And I mean, they had legit careers from somebody I know who she has a PhD. Yeah. <laughs> 
and she transitioned to be a DIY blogger. So I'm, I'm finding more and more that these creative people that I'm talking to, we all have this similar story of choosing responsible, well thought out job paths. And then we get to them and then it's like, no, what happened? Like, this is not <laughs> the thing. <laughs> Well, society kind of tells you that if you're going to be, if you're going to make a living as an artist, you're going to be a struggling artist. And I rejected that notion a long time ago. I was like, I don't want to be a struggling artist. I want to, I want to do something that I love every day because I mean, I was going to work and, you know, just, I mean, I was having a physical reaction to going to work. I would, there were, there were many days that I would go to work and on the way I just felt like I needed to pull over and throw up because I was just, was so like just physically ill at the thought of having to go and sit in a chair and work on things that I just hated working on. And it wasn't that the, that the projects I was working on were uninteresting projects. It wasn't that the people I was working with were terrible people. It was that I just, this was not where I felt the best utilized. I felt so, it was felt like such a terrible fit for me, but like, like many people do when I was coming out of high school, I didn't really know I, what I wanted to do. And I, I thought, well, architecture seems like a really, you know, like a perfect fit. I'm creative. I'm good at math, you know, those types of really practical things. And, um, but once I got into it, it was, it was, I mean, really from the start, it was a pretty, pretty apparent to me, even though I didn't want to admit it. I mean, my first semester in college, I, I every single day I was like, mom, I don't want to do this. And my mom was like, Casey, just stay with it for a semester or stick with it for a semester. And I was like, okay. And then I made an A that semester. I was like, well, maybe I'm good at this, you know? And so you just kind of keep going. Um, but it got to a point with me where I was like, this is not, this is not what I'm supposed to be doing. You know? And it was really hard to admit that to myself and then also admit it to the most important people to me in my life who were like, but wait, you're an architect, you know, like you're, you're supposed to be doing this thing. That's like really, easy for us to tell our friends and family, you know, like it was really, I mean, it was hard. It was really hard for me to, to come to that conclusion and start telling people that, and especially to pursue a creative field when people are like, uh, good luck with that. You know, like, okay, okay. Crazy person. You know, they kind of, they kind of don't get it at first. You know, I, I agree with what you said 100% about just society and how we equip people for the future and that's that's largely like one of the things that's fueling this idea for the podcast of like pimping your brilliance and why I, I asked you to be on and just all the other people. I, I really feel that after I made it through high school, like my parents laid out my career path, like oh, you're going to go to school, you're going to get good grades, you're going to go to college, you're going to do this. And, you know, I originally wanted to be a psychology major and my dad was like, no, go to school for business, yeah. you can work in the family business, like all these things. And so you do those things or I did those things and I got to the other side and I was just like, okay, so what do I do next? Yeah. But like your parents are not equipped to tell you what to do next. Well, and I don't think... trying to give you the best information that they know how to give you. And it comes from a place of love. Um, and mm -hmm. the reality is, I mean, at age 18, like who really knows what they want to do with the rest of their life? I mean, I feel like you're lucky if you know at that age. And, you know, I even, even talking to other people that I know that are my, our age, you know, that are going through the similar struggle, struggle with their career, even if they don't want to pursue a creative career path, they're like, Oh, this just isn't what I thought it was going to be. But there's, there's, I think that there's a lot to be gained from 
maintaining that sense of curiosity about what you're supposed to be doing because um, you know, if you just pick something, you're like, well, this is what I picked. This is what I'm supposed to be doing. And you stick with that, you know, it, it can be, it can be heartbreaking, honestly, and kind of soul crushing. And so I think if you can keep that curious mind and be like, well, okay, I really love this part about what I'm doing right now, but I really don't love this part. How can I do more of the stuff that I love to do? You know, that's kind of where, that's kind of the guiding principle that I've used since I started this, I'm like, okay, I want it to look more like this. This day was just like the perfect day. I want more of that. How do I get more of that? You know? Yeah. And I, I think those are very fair points. It's, it really is like a, I don't know. I wish that I had an answer for how we could better prepare young people for like what to do next. And that's, that's one of the goals for this show is to just show people what's possible. Like, these things are possible. You can make money and be creative and you don't have to be a starving artist and it will be fine. And, and you can live a life that you feel is more fulfilling. But I really wish I had the fix for that, but I don't. But we're, we're going to try to do something yeah. with giving people some practical advice and things they can do. So I want to talk a bit about your work. So you're a textile designer and a product designer did your background in architecture help with either of those things? I know people may not realize, but you design the, you, you paint, yep. don't you paint the, your yes, designs and then you kind of digitize them and then put them on the textiles. So did your background in architecture help with that? Are you self-taught? Like, how did you come about doing it that way? I would say that architecture prepared me so immensely for what I do now. I mean, and that's another, I'll try not to get too much off on that tangent again, but that's another thing. I think that people get kind of analysis paralysis when they're, they're trying to pick what they want to do. I think if you can just kind of pick the thing that's closest to what you think you might want to do, then you're on the right track. Because my, my training as an architect, I mean, it, it taught me a lot about project management, about time management, about conceptualizing designs and kind of bringing something from an idea to reality and, um, you know, just kind of having the gumption to go out and figure out how to make it all happen. You know, so that definitely are, those are definitely things that I learned um, as a student in architecture and in the professional world. And I also had some, I had um, a couple of great bosses at, when I was an architect that, that would kind of just let me do my thing. I mean, they would just kind of throw me in and it would be super, you know, frustrating and intimidating at first, but I learned so much that way because I learned to really trust myself um, in pulling things together and making things happen and to trust my decisions because I had bosses who gave me a lot of responsibility early on in my career as an architect. So that built my confidence on that level a ton. So I would say it's definitely been um, just, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't change any of that. I'm so glad that I had that experience. Um, and for anyone who, um, who is on a different path than what they feel like they should be on, I think it's important to recognize like, get as much as you possibly can out of your experiences. Um, even if you plan on switching gears, you know, there, there's something that you're doing in your day job or in the current career that you're in that's going to serve you uh, when you start working on your own business, for sure. Yes, and I, I want to echo that. Make sure that you bleed as much experience as you can yes. from whatever you're doing right now, because it all comes back full circle. You may not milk realize it. it, as much as you it can. <laughs> yes. Milk it, milk it. That's what I meant. Milk it as much as you can, uh, because it may not come back right away, but I guarantee you at some point it definitely will. Mm -hmm. So 
with the products that you create. So you, you make home goods. How do you source the products that you create? Um, well, it, it kind of just depends. Right now I've got a couple of um, kind of main products that I sell. Like I make these little fabric buckets and, um, and then I make like some accessory type products. Um, and for those, the sourcing is pretty much the same on those. And that's just kind of been over time figuring out, you know, um, the best supplies and materials. I'm really, uh, interested in, in creating products that are like super durable and well-made and will last a lifetime. Um, so when I started out doing the fabric, um, I discovered Spoonflower and I imagine your listeners and probably are aware of Spoonflower. Um, for the most part. And if they're not, Spoonflower is amazing. But they, I found Spoonflower a few years ago and started having my um, patterns digitally printed onto fabric via Spoonflower. And digital fabric printing is still a relatively new um, uh, technology in the textile industry. And so it's, it's constantly getting better. It's constantly evolving and um, more and more printers are coming out. Um, but I actually still use Spoonflower for all of the printed products. Um, and I've tested out other printers before, uh, but Spoonflower just has the most reliable product. I do have um, discounts for bulk ordering, which, which I've been able to utilize. And um, so I still use Spoonflower. And I think some people are kind of surprised to hear that I still use them, um, but they're amazing. The product is great. And, and compared to other printers that I've tried out, they're just, they, they are, they have it dialed in completely. So I use Spoonflower for the, the um, printed fabrics that I use. And then um, as far as sourcing all of the other materials for my products, um, you know, I use, can I use like a canvas on all of the bags and all the linings and everything that I use. Uh, so canvas is a pretty big, just like a natural canvas is a really um, consistent uh, material in all of my products because uh, I like that durability of it. So when I started... Um, producing more, I really wanted to have more options for heavier weight canvases. So I found a supplier online that does I mean, all different weights of canvases. And so I usually order my, my canvas from them. And then as far as like notions and all of that, like Etsy actually has some great resources for sourcing uh, materials and supplies. So I do get, um, I do get a good bit of my like notions and zippers and that kind of thing off of Etsy from sellers on Etsy. And um, as well as some of the wax canvas that I use in my line. So um, Etsy is a great resource for that. And I also, I try to keep it, um, keep it to suppliers that are in the U.S. And um, I'm not opposed to sourcing out of the U.S., but keeping it in the U.S. is, it makes it a little bit um, quicker turnaround for me to actually get the supplies. And I just feel like I can kind of um, know that they're closer and I feel like, like there's a certain level of trust with the, with the consistency and the quality that I'm getting. Um, so yeah, that's, that's kind of the gist of it. But whenever I'm developing a new product, I just dive in to Google, Google searches and, um, you know, asking around to my networks. Like I'm in, I'm in several Facebook networking groups and, um, just people that I've met online through doing this. So, um, I'm always researching new products and new materials and, and, um, just kind of have to do a lot of research around that whenever I'm developing, developing a new product. So you actually make your own products? Yeah. So, well, now I actually have some help with the sewing, um, but I do design all of the fabrics, all of the, all of the artwork on the printed uh, fabrics is my original artwork. And um, up until 
September of last year, I was still selling every single product that went out. And it was getting to the point that it was just kind of crazy. Because <laughs> like, it would be, I mean, when you run a business, it's not always just like, you know, you're slammed busy 24 seven, but you do go through periods where you'll, you'll just, you just can't keep up, you know? Um, but whenever it was busy, it was, I was sewing so much that I just, I didn't have time to do anything else in my business. So last year, um, I went to a trade show in New York last year and, uh, knew that I was going to need to bring on some help with the sewing. So I had started vetting a seamstress, um, before the show. And then after the show, she's, she's, started sewing for me and she sews the majority of the products now. And I've also brought on a little, a couple of other seamstresses for some part-time help too. Um, but, but I have one seamstress that does the majority of the sewing. And then a lot of the, um, like if I get just kind of like one off products, um, one off, uh, orders on my website, then I'll usually sew those. But, um, but yeah, she, she helps with the majority and then I do some of the sewing too. So neat. So basically your company, I mean, you, you are very hands-on with what you do. So I'm assuming that you have bootstrapped a lot of your products and just growing your company. So I want to ask the money question because people always want to know, how do you make money as a, a textile and a product designer? So currently, uh, and I'm glad you're asking this question. I think this is something that people need to talk about and need to hear more because it's something, it's very taboo to talk about money, but I'm always open to talk about this stuff, but currently the majority of my business, um, comes from wholesale. So I sell to shops and boutiques all over the U S. Um, and I've, I've got a few shops in Canada. And, um, so I do wholesale with them, which means that they're just buying my product at a discount in bulk that they sell to their customers. And wholesale has been a really lucrative business for me. Um, and that's one of those things too. I decided, a few years ago that I wanted to do wholesale. I saw it as a really great opportunity to scale my business and to get my product in front of more people and to kind of extend my reach across, you know, outside of just my region. So um, I started doing wholesale. And so wholesale now is the bread and butter of my business. Um, and then retail brings in a little bit for me, but it's really not that much. I mean, it's a pretty small percentage of, of the money that I make right now, but that's also this year, I am putting a little bit more focus onto the retail side of things, like selling directly to customers that buy on my website. Um, because I'm, I feel like I've kind of honed in on wholesale. I've figured out how that works to a certain degree. And now that can kind of, um, that kind of runs a little bit more smoothly without as much, uh, input for me, you know, or not as much effort, I guess I should say. Um, so I'm really trying to amp up the, the retail side of things, but I would say, yeah, wholesale is probably, gosh, 80% of my business right now. Um, and retail is a pretty small percentage of that. And that's, that's such an interesting thing to note because you have an e-commerce site. A lot of people assume when you run a, a product-based business and you have a site that the bulk of your business comes through direct sales to customers. Right. But in your case, a lot of it comes through sales to shops and, and, you know, stores and that type of thing. Uh, any tips for anybody who's thinking about working with wholesale accounts? Yeah. So wholesale, it's, it's funny. Like when I talk to people about wholesale, I think wholesale can feel really mystifying. And I felt that way when I first started doing it. Um, and, but, but, and then like people that I know, other business owners that I know that do retail, they've kind of got retail dialed in and they'd like to do wholesale, but feel 
like, oh gosh, I don't even know where to start. But I'm like the flip. I'm like, I've got wholesale dialed in, but retail feels kind of mystifying to me sometimes. But for people that are interested in pursuing wholesale, um, I mean, it's just a matter. I mean, it's there's a lot of similarities between wholesale and retail as far as like making sure that you have a a product that's sellable, making sure that you have your presentation dialed in so that the, the photographs and the um, the way that your product is represented online makes it really clear that you do wholesale. So you have a, a place on your website where people can contact you if they're interested in doing wholesale with you. Um, and then also understanding, um, the biggest thing with, with doing wholesale is understanding how to outline your terms and, and reach out to shops. So um, I won't go like too in depth the detail on it because there's so much information that I feel like there is to learn about wholesale, but it's, it's really not that terrible once you kind of get into it. Um, but you want to make sure, like, you have to have line sheets, which are what you will give to um, line sheets or catalogs. I kind of have a combination of a line sheet and a catalog, but you have that that you give to stores so they can kind of quickly see what you have available, what your pricing terms are, and what your payment terms and shipping and all of that. You want to have all of that lined out. And one thing that I always tell people, too, is um, it's when you're first kind of researching about wholesale, there's a lot of information out there about how to set terms. And a lot of it is really like net 30, for example, is a term that is, it means that, you know, people pay 30 days after they place the order or after they get the, the products. Um, and different stores, especially larger stores have different terms like net 30 or net 60 or net 90. Um, but I always tell people, don't be afraid to set your own terms. Like I, the majority of my, uh, wholesale customers pay me up front for product. Um, I'm still a small business. I work with a lot of other small businesses and my, my minimums are not that high that I feel like it would be astronomical to ask someone to pay me up front because I make everything to order too. So, um, you know, I think people get intimidated and don't want to, like if a, if a store comes to you and says, this is our terms, we do net 30. It's okay if you say, actually, I don't do net 30, you know, for example. So you can, you can set your own terms and and they may be, they may say, well, well, then we don't want to work with you. And then you can kind of renegotiate that, or you can be prepared to just walk away because I will tell you from experience, if you're agreeing to terms that you're not completely comfortable with, or that make you feel financially really stressed, then it's not going to be an enjoyable experience. And, it, and that's going to, I feel like that kind of tarnishes the quality of the work that you're able to do if you're not able to set terms that you feel good about. So, um, so yeah, that's kind of in a nutshell, how, how, how to kind of approach wholesale from my point of view. <laughs> and I love that, uh, especially what you said about setting terms that you feel comfortable with and being prepared to walk away if that's what you think you need to do, right. because you're, you are in this business to make money. You don't want to be a starving artist and you have to protect yourself first and foremost and your, your business because you can't grow unless you make money. And and there are some, I mean, there's especially, you know, I haven't worked with any like big stores on the level of, you know, fulfilling 20,000 piece orders, for example, but you hear stories about that happening with smaller businesses and it, it can, it can be detrimental to your business if you're filling an order that large and are expected to basically off like create it on credit for this enormous this enormous store, you know, that, that can be really harmful to your business and your credit. Um, so those are things that you kind of have to keep in mind and it's, it's, it's hard. I mean, I've definitely, there's been stores that I've worked with that 
haven't really been great when it comes to terms and it's always stressful. And then they come back and I kind of give in and I'm like, okay, yeah, okay, I'll do it again. You know? And then I'm just like stressed the entire time. But I've learned over time that, you know, walking away from an opportunity doesn't mean that you're never going to get another opportunity, even from that particular store. You know, you, you have to kind of honor, honor your business, honor yourself and um, honor the work that you do and, and do it in a way that's, that's sustainable for you. Yes. And I, I think that was great advice because you, you have to be ready with your business. So I want to ask you about your crowdfunding campaign that you did last year. So last year you launched a Kickstarter to send you to New York now, which is a big trade show. Um, is it, is it stationary tech? I don't they remember do. what it's. New York now is a home lifestyle and gift trade show. So they're mostly product, um, like, like, um, physical soft goods and they do like jewelry and, I mean, all kinds of anything that you can think of in the home lifestyle and gift categories. Yeah. So that's New York now in a nutshell. But how was your experience with that? Because that's another thing that I don't think that people who are doing retail, retail, and especially when you're smaller and you're starting out, realize like this is a great avenue to get into stores and just really grow your business. Oh, yeah, for sure. So, um, so yeah, I did the Kickstarter last year because I wanted to go to this trade show in New York now and um, New York now is probably, I would say they're one of the best trade shows in the United States for this kind of thing. Um, and I had done a lot of research and, and knew that um, New York now was going to be a great launch pad for my wholesale business. I'd already kind of been, I'd already been building the wholesale business, but it was just so much work to find people who were interested buyers and to, and especially if they couldn't see the product. So I knew that getting my product in front of buyers, letting them pick it up and look at it and see it in person was going to be um, a, a big deal. And I knew that being at a trade show like that, I was going to be in front of more serious buyers. So, um, so I, but it was expensive. So doing New York now at the time, my booth fee alone was $4,800 to do New York now. Um, I didn't have $4,800 to drop on a booth. So I was like, okay, how am I going to do this? And I knew, and I had done enough research to know that doing that show can be, can be around $10,000 or more to do it for like everything included to do that kind of show. Um, and I didn't want to put it on a credit card. Um, not because I'm opposed to credit cards, but mainly because I had already been using, utilizing credit cards a lot for my business. And I was just kind of like, I want to, I want to do this a little differently. So I decided to launch this Kickstarter campaign to raise $10,000 to go to New York now. And uh, that was a really great experience because it really forced me to um, create a very concise and focused uh, marketing campaign for my business to raise this money. But also beyond that, I think that the kind of organizing myself for that Kickstarter campaign really helped me out in the long run. And then going to New York now um, was a fantastic experience for me because, you know, I had been building this wholesale, like potential wholesale customer list by cold emailing stores and just trying to find as many as I could on my own. But going to a show like New York now, I was able to get in front of so many more buyers in such a shorter period of time. And then the people that were stopping in at my booth were serious buyers. And the, the order, the sizes of the orders that I was getting from New York now were like double, triple, you know, sometimes five times what I would normally get from these stores that I was cold emailing or stores that would just find me on Etsy wholesale. Because I think that 
people seeing me in person and seeing that I had some major skin in the game by going to this trade show, they, they took me way more seriously and um, just trusted the product more. And so I've had some really great business as a result of doing that show. And um, last year, you know, with, between the Kickstarter and New York Now, um, my, my sales grew three times compared to the year before. So it was just a really great experience in marketing and being really focused on the goal of wholesale and how I was going to grow that side of things. And you did a successful Kickstarter, which yes. is a big deal. Yeah, it was. Uh, it was. It was real, and you did too. Congratulations, by the way. Um, it, it was so. You know, going into it, I was like, "Oh my god, I can't believe I'm going to have to ask people to give me ten thousand dollars." But it's not. It's not real. I mean, some people do give you the money, and then they don't want anything in return. But the whole premise of Kickstarter is that you provide rewards, and so I, I framed Kickstarter as a pre-sale of my products and uh, and kind of like a launching of this new collection that I was doing. So, um, but yeah, like I, I went into it with a plan. I had it very kind of dialed in. Like I had, you know, all of my milestones, what I was going to email people, how I was going to say it. I had it, I had like all the rewards really figured out. And, um, so I really went into it with a very solid plan of action and, you know, started planning it months in advance and then, had a plan for even after the campaign was over. So it really was for me, not just about raising $10,000. It was about being really um, transparent and clear about what I was doing and telling people more about the work that I was doing. But yeah, it was successful. I, and we, we actually got funded a week before the campaign was over, which was, I mean, looking back, I'm like, okay, that makes sense. Cause I did work really hard to plan that out. But at the time I was like, there's no way, there's no way we're going to raise $10,000 in you know, in a month. And sure enough, we did. And people were really excited about it. It was, it was a fantastic experience. And I'm so glad that I did it. I'm glad that you did it too. And, you know, um, people, a lot of people don't know this, but Casey, I went to her before I officially like decided, certainly in my mind, I was going to do a Kickstarter Mm -hmm. because um, I was really freaked out about the process, but she made it seem... When I talked, like you were... I totally understood what you were going through because I had just been through it. I was like, yes, that's exactly how I felt. I was like, there's no way. And you raised 15,000, didn't you? Mm-hmm. That's amazing. Yeah. $15, I mean, in 30 days. <laughs> I mean, it was just like, it's, it's very intimidating to think about doing something like that. Um, but if you're focused and you're organized and you have a good product and you can really rally your people around you, you can make it happen. And so it, it's a very, it was a major confidence boost for me too. And, and not just that, like I thought, oh, people really do believe in me. It was a major confidence boost in the fact that it's like, okay, I know how to talk about what I do. I know how to tell people what I do. And it's, and I know how to, I know that people are excited about this. You know, that, that kind of really um, made me feel more like a business person. You know, it was, it was good for them. I mean, it was, it was a fantastic experience. <laughs> So with your brand, I mean, at this point, you're doing it full time, you've mastered wholesale, you've done a successful crowdfunding campaign, so you've had some major wins. What do you feel have been your keys to success? Gosh, I would say, first of all, just starting, just sitting down, figuring it out and taking the first step to making this stuff happen. Um, I am a very 
I'm a very naturally optimistic person and I'm also a very driven person. And so even when things aren't like quite where I want them to be, it's really easy for me to visualize where I want to be and like start taking steps toward that, like just start taking action. Um, so I would definitely say just being, instead of just like daydreaming all day long, I do believe in action um, and just starting and, you know, focusing on that end goal, but not letting that intimidate you from getting started. Um, and I don't know if that answers your question or not. <laughs> I feel like there's so much like, um, I'm probably the, the biggest proponent of quitting your day job. But like, again, it took me a while to quit my, or, and actually I didn't quit my last job. I was fired from my last job because I was working like two days a week. And, um, you know, I was so t- I had such tunnel vision focus on my business that I just wasn't able to commit fully to this job. And it was horrible. But at the same time, I was like, okay, I'm not going back to that, that career anymore. But like, just being able to have that vision and take action has been probably my biggest key to success. And also, um, I've always had, I mean, from the start, even when my stuff, I, I mean, I look back at some of the stuff that I started out with and it just is not that great at all. But even back then I had such a vision for what I wanted this business to be. And I still do. And I'm very particular about how I present the business and how, uh, like what, what the pictures look like, what the products look like, how they're made, the quality, all of that. I have such a very clear vision for that. Um, and you know, I don't worry so much about looking crazy for sticking to that. Like I'm, I'm very adamant, like this is how I want it done, you know? And, um, I think that that's really important when you're building something like you have to be willing to stick to your guns on things because people, people are going to second guess you. They're going to, especially when you're working with other people who, you know, are going to be helping you in your business. You want to choose to work with people that can see that vision or that have a a complementary vision to yours so that you can make, make beautiful things happen. Um, Otherwise your, your brand, your product is just going to kind of get lost in the shuffle. I feel like we're the same person when it comes to being like really insistent on what the brand vision is and and how that's executed. But it shows because, I mean, all of your stuff looks great. Your photos look great. Your website looks great. And trust me, I am the biggest, um, I don't even know the word for it, but I do not like an ugly website. I can't stand it. Oh my gosh. Monique, I I get so, I was actually just, um, last week I gave a talk about wholesale and someone asked a question about like, where's your website hosted? And I, and I was like, it's on Shopify. And I was like, look people, <laughs> cause like every time I get a chance, I'm like, listen, there is no excuse for having an ugly website. There are so many resources out there for cheap or free website builders that are gorgeous. Like there's just no excuse. There is no excuse in this day and age for you to a not have a website or B have an ugly website, you know? Um, so I'm always, yeah, that drives me crazy. (laughs) (laughs) It's, it's a real problem. And I I don't think a lot of people are prepared to fix it. Like sometimes I'll talk to people and they're like, Oh, I need to get a website developer and I need this and this and this. I'm like, go to Shopify or go to Squarespace or, you know, like they're, they're so it's all plug and play. You just like turn on the switch and put your pictures in, you know I mean? You obviously want to have beautiful pictures too, 
But, you know, I think people get kind of caught up in, you know, oh, I need my website to be custom or I need it to be this or that or whatever, which is great. But especially when you're starting out, like I remember when I first started out, I was like, I'm going to build my site on WordPress. I have no idea how to build a website. Okay. And I'm like trying to Google educate myself through it and wanted to pull my hair out. And finally I was like, why am I, why am I focusing on this when I need to be focusing on making my product, making my work the best it can be. I need something that easily showcases that, you know? Um, so yeah, there, there's, there's so many, so many resources out there for that kind of thing. And, um, it's, it's fairly easy to find a platform for, for showing your work. Um, and then you have to just make sure that the pictures you're taking, the way that you're talking about your work, it all kind of, it's all cohesive with, with the vision you have for the brand that you're creating. Yes. Building a, a brand story is uber, uber important. Yes. So we're getting towards the end and I, I like to end with two questions. Okay. So the first one is the Pimp Your Brilliance Action Challenge, which is you offering three pieces of advice for somebody who is interested in designing or selling their own products. Okay. Oh gosh, let's think. Um, well, first I would, I would say just start, like I said before, start somewhere. Um, find the very next step that you can take to get closer to, to that idea. Um, the second piece of advice would be to, um, I guess really focus in on what you want it to be. Uh, you don't have to have every single thing figured out right now, but you can have ideas about, you know, the quality that you want in your work, the aesthetic, you know, the kinds of brands that you want to be positioned next to in your market, like those kinds of things. Um, and then just stay really, um, stay focused on that. Don't, don't let, don't let people kind of take you in a different direction if that's not where you want to go, because a lot of people are going to give you, people give advice. I mean, I'm giving advice right now, but like people <laughs> give so much unsolicited advice, you don't have to take it. Like nine times out of 10, 10 people give me advice and I'm just thinking that's not at all what I would do. Uh, you don't have to be mean and like tell them to get out of your face, but you can, you can just say like, Oh, that's an interesting idea. You don't have to do it. You know? So I think definitely stay focused on your own vision of what you want it to be. Um, and then also just keep at it. Like this stuff takes, yeah, that would be the third thing. Keep at it. This stuff takes a long time. Um, you know, on social media, everyone makes it look like it happened overnight. It does not happen overnight. Um, and, and also understand that people, are showing you the highlight reel. They're showing you the best of the best that they have. And a lot of times people look a lot bigger than they really are. And, um, you know, myself included, I think people, a lot of times I'll talk to people and they're like, Oh, you know, congratulations. And it's, it's kind of like, I don't really know what to say sometimes because it, you know, I do feel like I've come a long way, but I, there's so much more that I want to do. So you, you have to keep, you have to just keep at it. Um, it, it takes forever. Like I remember being six months in, maybe even three months in like listing stuff on Etsy. And I was like, when's this going to take off? Like, when am I going to be you know, internet famous? And it was just frustrating at first. Cause I'm like, all these people around me are doing so much good work and they're getting recognition and their, you know, their, their businesses are huge. And you know, when's this going to happen for me? It just, it takes a long time. It just takes time. You have to just keep at it. You have to work for it. Like you want it tomorrow or today and be prepared to wait it out because it's just a lot. It's a lot of time. 
overnight successes or seven years in the making. Exactly. So don't let anybody tell you anything differently that because so it takes and, a long time to get it. And overnight success too. I mean, you know, one thing to keep in mind, if you did have an overnight success, it would be so unsustainable. Can you imagine? Like if you, if you go from like having no success, like no sales, no anything to all of a sudden you're just like inundated the next day. Like how do you even maintain that? You know, it's just, it's kind of an, it's such an unrealistic idea, ideal of how to build a business. Um, the slow burn. I've, I decided a long time ago, like, okay, I'm going to be good with the slow burn. I'm just going to keep going. I'm going to keep trucking along on the days when I'm not feeling like this is my thing. I'm going to keep going because I know that there's something here, you know? And so, and it's that consistency too of showing up that really ensures your success. Yes. Yes, yes, 110% yes. So my final question for you is, uh, what books are you currently reading or have you read recently that just really blew your mind? Oh, gosh. You know, I'm really kind of the worst about reading books. I listen to a lot of podcasts, um, but I books that I have been reading recently, I've been reading um, The Responsible Company. Um, it's by the founders of Patagonia. And, um, they just talk a lot about kind of a lot of what we've been talking about, kind of sticking with it, you know, having a a vision in mind for what you want the company to be. So I've been kind of slowly working my way through that book when I have some, every now and then I'll have some downtown, I'll read a little bit more, but every time I sit down with that book, I find even more like little nuggets of, of information that are great for building a company that is, you know, environmentally conscious is socially responsible, all of those things. Um, so that one, I haven't even finished. It's not even a big book. I just haven't sat down and read through the whole thing yet. And then a couple of years ago, I read, um, you are a badass. by yes. and, <laughs> and it's, it's like so cliche now because like everybody's a badass now, you know? Um, and I kind of get like worn out with all, all of the like badass stuff going on online with like business owners. But that book is actually great because it talks about, it's really a book about manifesting and believing in yourself, but it's hysterical and she doesn't take herself too seriously. And, um, there's a lot of, she, she also shares other resources for like, um, kind of the same, same stuff about manifesting and, but it really, um, makes you think about where you put your focus and your energy in your life. And I really do believe without getting too woo woo on you guys, like I do believe in, attracting into your life, what you focus on. So if you're focused on the negative, if you're focused on like, Oh, I'm never going to be able to be A, B or C, you know, that's probably going to come out to be true. I think you have to really um, put yourself in a position to expect good things to come into your life and to pursue those things. So yeah, you are a badass is a great one. And that one was an easy read. I read through it in like a day or two. I mean, it was just like, I I really couldn't put it down because it was so entertaining. (laughs) <laughs> I agree. And it, it's, I kind of think it's required reading for creative entrepreneurs. Yeah. But that was my last question. If listeners want to get in contact with you or find out more about you, how can they find you online? Okay. So I am at kcdsibley.com. Um, and then everywhere on social media, I'm at kcdsibley. So it's pretty simple. <laughs> <laughs> Wonderful. Well, thank you again for coming on the show. I love all of the advice you shared. You gave some really great tips and things that I think people need to think about if they're pursuing art and ways to actually make it a sustainable 
career. So thank you so much for sharing and sharing so openly. Thank you. Thank you so much for interviewing me. I love talking about this stuff and I'm, and I love you. I've had a chance to talk to you a few times and I feel like we have a lot in common. So this is really enjoyable. Thank you for having me on the podcast. And that's it for this week's episode. Thanks so much for listening. Learn more about this show and get access to show notes by visiting keepchasingthestars.com. While you're there, make sure you subscribe for updates. I'll be back next week. And in the meantime, go out there and pimp your brilliance.